This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D I E T Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. I'm Matthew. And I'm Molly. And this is Spilled Milk, the show where we cook something delicious, eat it all, and you can't have any. Today, we are going to do an episode that we have sort of, uh, if this episode is is uh, is a can, we've been kicking this can down the road. And it is a can full of cranberry That's sauce right. because it's the cranberry episode. Yeah, we keep uh, coming around to this episode and going, wait a minute, there are not going to be any cranberries in the market. And then we keep having to postpone it. And here we are. We're finally doing it. You know what listeners are probably asking themselves? <laughs> Did we have to let it linger? Oh, my God, Matthew. That's so do you think, good. Do you think I'm going to get cranberries jokes out of my system? That was it. Or do you think there's going to oh, be there's more? Gonna be more. Okay, there's going to be more. But, you know, Matthew, before we begin, because I've got a lot to tell the listener about cranberries. Do you ever. <laughs> I, I did the research for this episode. I'm holding the agenda is, here and it's like the Gutenberg Bible. It is exhaustive. Before we get into that, I want to know, Matthew, did you do the upside down yogurt challenge we were talking about in the last episode? Okay, we need to we need to set this up for the listeners in case they didn't listen to last week's episode or don't remember it like we don't remember any episode. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. Last week we did an episode called Upside Down Foods, which uh, where we talked about upside down foods. That's right. Which is a very loosely defined category. Mm-hmm. And one thing we talked about, and we I feel like we came up with this idea together. I think I came up with the idea of fruit on the bottom yogurt I invented. <laughs> okay you came up with the idea of fruit on the bottom yogurt and uh, then I uh, came up with the idea of what if you inverted fruit on the bottom yogurt and turned it out of the yogurt cup and served it like a flan is that even physically possible would it be good what would happen would this make us legends on TikTok or at least go viral Yes, I remember when you suggested that. I was pretty excited about it. And honestly, I thought we were going to do this together. <laughs> but we are going to do it, it together. You did well, it I with your okay, wife. Okay, well, I couldn't help. I couldn't resist trying it with my wife. But then, but now... <laughs> But now we're here together, and and I only and and I was gonna try and like uh, you know downplay, but yes, I absolutely tried it without you. Yeah, okay. And then sent you a picture. Okay, so here's the deal: you did it. You took a like single serving cup of Greek yogurt yes. that had fruit on the bottom, and tell me about how you did it. You took the foil off. I took the foil off. That's very important. <laughs> <laughs> then I like ran around the edge with a knife, mm-hmm. butter with a butter knife, mm-hmm. and then kind of plonked it against a plate mm-hmm. and lifted the yogurt cup off. 
Should we should we do this now? Oh, I mean, sure. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Okay. So something <clears throat> something weird happens. I oh, think this I think this got, right. this got jostled. This, uh, I can't believe but, you're serving me a jostled yogurt. Okay, but so so some of the fruit on the bottom has already like made its way to the top, oh, but I'm still going to do this. Okay. Okay, you ready? Oh my god. But look Matthew, at that, right? That looks really good. Okay, so now dig in. Okay. So we have we have an inverted Tillamook strawberry Greek yogurt. Okay. And, and we're going to eat it flan style. <laughs> it's good, right? Mhm. Mhm. <laughs> I mean The only thing that's disconcerting about it to me or makes it not believable as like a quality dessert mm-hmm. or something is no fruit puree is ever this color in nature. Sure. Yeah, I mean, of the fruit purees that you encounter in nature, few, you're right. None of them are this color. It's so it's so pale. Okay, now but it's also got a tinge of gray to it. Um, oh, wait oh, it's a like that. It's like that Grateful Dead song, "Touch of Gray." I, I, I was going to say that if you didn't, I got the wrong yogurt from the fridge. This is a blended yogurt, absolutely un- inappropriate. Um, but Matthew, this is really gratifying, right? So mm-hmm. I think either. People are already doing this and we've rediscovered it. No. Or if people aren't doing it, this is going to be our one chance to go viral. This, well, I was thought you were going to say this is going to be our one chance to contribute something lasting to humanity. And I think you're right. I think this is it for us. Okay, now what do we have? Okay, so this is, this is a Kroger fruit on the bottom, blueberry. And I like how... On the foil on the top, it says fruit on the bottom in huge letters. Like this is this is it. such an important innovation. But what I really like is that fruit and bottom are in a larger typeface <laughs> than true. on the actually just fruit says bottom. Kroger fruit bottom. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is not a Greek yogurt. This is right? not a Greek yogurt. So I'm curious whether it's gonna like hold its shape. <sighs> I don't feel in the great same about way. this. I don't oh. either. I think it's gonna I think it's gonna slump. I think this is gonna be a but yes. okay. Here we go. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> Sound. I don't even know. I also know if don't it's think work. it's going to come out. <laughs> oh, this is okay, so we uh, do not do this with with non Greek yogurt. <laughs> we it's, lost the fruit. The fruit has stuck to the bottom. We we lost everything. Like, <laughs> okay, this is awful. Yeah, okay. This is so, an abomination. I can't right. even look at it. So, but like, we got to get on TikTok because like, if the TikTok was like first of us like perfectly molding out the Greek yogurt, and then like, and then we're like, hey, this works so well. Let's try it with non Greek yogurt, and then just like it just like sluges out like i don't i don't even want to taste this but i, but I will oh God, you're such a good sport <laughs> no i think part of what is so nice about the greek one is greek yogurt has already this kind of almost like pot de creme texture mm-hmm. right and then the the fruit on the on the bottom truly is like a coolie kind of vibe yeah this is good all right so that was our cranberry episode thanks for tuning in mm. I like that. Isn't that tasty? Uh-huh. I'm, I'm really going nice. to do this. Like, this is going to be a, a new thing. Is this going to be like um, the new dessert you serve for company? It, it could be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, pretty good. If I Yeah. If I didn't tell people what it was, oh, like yeah. and I molded it out a little better than this one, mm-hmm. like they would go ape. They would go ape. You know what? I would also be interested in doing. I mean, if you really yeah. wanted to make this into a, a truly. Are like, you thinking garnishes? No, oh. I'm thinking get the plain mm. or vanilla Greek yogurt and then make your own like raspberry puree. Yeah. And drizzle that over but, the top. But that, that's that's classing it up too much. That's, yeah. I think I think like and then I then I think I would argue about like whether it's really an upside down food anymore. <laughs> oh, but I mean, we did say but, like. Anything you turn out of a mold is an upside down food. Mm, mm, mm. Anyway, that was so, so nice. 
We're not really going to get on TikTok because we're way too lazy. So well, I thought you were going to say because we're way too old. <laughs> I bet I bet the Golden Bachelor's on TikTok. I think that we may have cut out the Golden Bachelor part <laughs> of this right. episode. We were talking about the Golden Bachelor <laughs> during the break. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's on TikTok. I'm ready to mingle. He's, he's, <laughs> <laughs> okay there probably is a mingle feature all right i'm Let's gonna i'm gonna about... put away wait, i okay. don't want to sit in front of yogurt for the whole episode <laughs> okay. especially this one oh, in front of that me one looks that... like a contagion it, yeah <laughs> that's right there <laughs> okay it is the scary the spookiest month of the year november so <laughs> Okay, uh, so you know what, Matthew. While you're doing that, I'm gonna sort of uh, set the uh, parameters. I'm gonna I'm gonna mark the perimeter of today's episode. <laughs> 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 I'm gonna pee on. Yeah, it. yeah. That's <laughs> immediately what I thought of. Also, no. What am I trying to say? I'm gonna establish the parameters of today's episode. Yeah, you're gonna mark your territory. <laughs> okay, great. Which is to say. Even though today's episode is about cranberries, we are not going to talk about cranberry juice. We're going to do that as a separate episode. We're also not going to talk about dried cranberries because, well, honestly, there's nothing to say about them. And also, we did that (laughs) on the Dried Fruit Showdown There's nothing to say about them, so it was perfect for our show. (laughs) Uh, So the only two things that are are like within your your territory are fresh cranberries, Uh things made with fresh cranberries, and upside-down yogurt. Absolutely not. No, Matthew, there's also, like, cranberry sauces, cranberries and baked goods. But aren't those things made with fresh cranberries? Not necessarily. But sometimes baked goods have dried cranberries. Are we not going to even talk about that? I don't think so, because, like, we talked a whole bunch about that holiday cookie from Sunset Magazine with the dried cranberries, coconut, and orange. Yeah, remember when we did, like, seven (laughs) holiday cookie episodes in a row? (laughs) Okay. Okay. Fair. So Fair. Uh, if, okay. if you if you were going to talk about a special thing made with dried cranberries, I'm I'm not going to pee on your no, parade. No, I I never use dried cranberries. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I, so I, we argued we had an really, argument for no reason. I really just is that what you call an argument? <laughs> yeah, I mean things got pretty heated in here for a minute. I did have to take my sweater off. That's true. Okay. Matthew, let's go down memory lane. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I am not much of a cranberry eater, so uh, I'm going to do my best to participate <sighs> in this extensive episode. Wait, is this because you are not much of a condiment man? Well, I'm not much of a condiment man and not much of a fruit man. Have we already established this like 18 times? I, I think so. Well, I think I've, I've become more comfortable expressing it. Oh. <laughs> Okay. Right? No, no, I get it. Like that uh, I feel like I should like fruit and I don't hate fruit like some people do. Like I like do. Like my spouse. I do eat fruit like a couple times a week, but certainly not every day. And if you told me like fruit was going away, <laughs> like I'd be <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> and and so when you say you've become more comfortable expressing it, you mean you've just begun to, you know, just be okay with that, that aspect of yourself. Yeah, I guess so. Ash was reminding me the other day about the time that my therapist, this was like years ago, I think in the middle of my divorce, I said something to my therapist about how like how much I hated how judgmental I was like on the inside of my head, like that I knew I was being judgmental and I hated it. I feel like I've gotten maybe 10% better at that. Well, anyway, he said to me, he was like, well, so you're judgmental, like- Hmm. Okay. So what? You can either decide that this is just a part of who you are, or you can decide that you want to redirect the way you think. But like, 
just sitting around feeling bad about being this is, judgmental. This is such is such useless. good advice. Yeah, like like I I feel like I feel like this is like advice that uh, that wife of the show Lori and, and I give each other periodically. Mm-hmm. It's just like okay, like if you're worried about this thing, either like uh, make a plan to do something about it, or decide like this is not actually important to you and you're not going to do something about it. I feel like this really. Uh, hold on, I, I know we are veering off the show here, but Matthew, <laughs> no, no. As no. we said at the beginning, this show this episode is going to be about three things: fresh. <laughs> cranberries upside down yogurts and stuff we learned in therapy yeah. <laughs> no but really I was my thinking- therapist told me take take various foods and just turn them upside down and see what happens great advice <laughs> no but i was thinking about it recently i feel like that was like a game changing revelation i think it, it yeah. probably came maybe right before i turned 40 and i really feel like it is carried over into so many parts of my life like i can be like okay well i wish i were the kind of person who did x but I'm not. Okay. Yeah, no, <laughs> like I, I can change that or not. Right. Like I like to think of myself as the kind of person who gives a fuck about everything, mm-hmm. but I can't actually do that. No That's one right. can. So like I have to I have to like pick and choose. That's right. Yeah. And there are certain things you can care about a lot and probably make a difference to. Yes. And other things you can't. Yeah. Well, there ends our episode. <laughs> okay. okay. Now I got an idea. What if we did an episode about cranberries? Oh my God! Really? Yeah, I mean we're here. We okay. don't have any cranberries, but we have a, we have a a tome about cranberries. <laughs> okay. Well, since you hold on, we'll come back to your memory lane in a minute. You, you said <laughs> okay. there's not a, a lot on it, but there's stuff on mine. So okay. All right. So I, of course, like like most people in North America, associate cranberries with Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. whether Canadian or U.S. Thanksgiving. Yeah. I think that the first cranberry dish that I remember having at Thanksgiving was my dad's raw cranberry relish. Okay. And I don't know if everybody calls it relish, too, when it's in its like raw form. I, I certainly know the kind of thing you're talking about, and I would call it a relish. Yeah. I mean, my dad would like take- What raw- other term would might you use? I don't know. Cranberry. Compote? No, that sounds no, cooked. that sounds cooked. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, he would take raw cranberries, sugar, and either some orange zest, or I think sometimes like, like almost like a whole orange or mm-hmm. something and put it in the food processor. So delicious. Like I, with the pith and everything? Maybe not. Okay. I mean, my dad has been gone for many years now. I, I don't remember the details of some of this. Did he have a pith helmet? Uh, anyway, so I remember that being the first kind of cranberry stuff we would have at Thanksgiving. Sure. And then at a certain point, my mom learned about a recipe, which, gosh, I should have looked this up in A Homemade Life because I wrote about it in A Homemade Life. It's a cranberry chutney. So it's mm-hmm. cooked. It starts with raw cranberries. You add to it, I think, apricot jam or apricot preserves crystallized ginger, a little bit of cloves, a bunch of stuff. It sounds pretty gnarly when I'm describing it and it's so delicious. It's like you're making like 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 the holidays in a in a chutney. Yeah, you're making like a basically like a savory, chunky cranberry jam almost. Mm -hmm. My ideal Thanksgiving table would have both my dad's cranberry relish and my mom's cranberry chutney. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. See, what I what appeals to me about this is like I I don't want to really eat more than like a spoonful of either of these things. But I love the idea of them of like the the ritual and the aroma of having them being made while while I'm in like a warm holiday home. 
Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about cranberry sauce from the can? Okay. That was, th- that was like a key part of Thanksgiving when I was growing up. It was never really much about eating it. Mm-hmm. We, would, we would always like, you know, take a bite of it, but it was like seeing it like retain the shape of the can. That was very important. And, was it, and then sliced. Okay. Yeah. So it was served like turned out of the can and then sliced into rounds. Yeah. Okay. And then the other memory lane is just like, I feel like Almost since we've been married, I, I feel like around this time of year, I will always find a, a pound of cranberries in the fridge or the freezer or both because wife of the show, Lori, is a big cranberry fan and has some sort of plan for them. Mm, OK. And we'll talk we'll talk later about what those plans might be. So I grew up with with my mom and dad kind of scorning the canned cranberry sauce. However, as an adult, when I have encountered it, when it has been, when it has arrived on a Thanksgiving table where I have been sitting. Where you have interloped. (laughs) That's right. I really enjoy it. Like, it's its own thing. Yeah, totally. I really like it. Did we mention last week that it counts as an upside down food because you invert the can and, and, and shrug it out? Shrug it out. <laughs> we yes. Let's, That's let's, like a version of hug it out. Yes, <laughs> shrug I'm, it out. I'm, I'm kind of extremely proud that I just came up with shrug it out. That's so good. <laughs> I'm, okay. I'm gonna remember, next time next you know, time I'm like all worked up about something, I'm going to like remember to take a minute to shrug it out. Matthew, like, I, <laughs> I remember I, when you. <laughs> when we should be therapists. When you said shrug it out, I pictured the like the ribbing on the outside of the can as almost like, you know, the shrugging. Yes. The shrugging of its little can shoulders. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> this, is, this is delightful. Okay, the last thing I want to say about my cranberry memory lane is that, so when I was a kid, I think we were like visiting my brother in, who lives in the Boston area. And my parents, if we made it into a longer trip, would sometimes, like we'd go up into Maine for a couple days. Okay. And my parents found this little bed and breakfast that was run by this gay couple. I'm sure I've talked about this on the show. I think Tony and Jerry were their names. Sounds right. Anyway, uh, they served breakfast each morning and tea. And those were the things that, you know, those were the meals you had with your room. The desserts they served with tea were like incredible. (laughs) Like just, you know, homemade cheesecake, like the best you can imagine. Also, they made this cranberry Linzer tart. And I can't remember what was in the crust. The crust was sort of dark brown and really nubbly and almost crunchy like a cookie. And then the filling was very tart and very rich somehow, even though it didn't have any dairy in it. Okay. And then you would make a lattice top. And I say you would make a lattice top because I remember my mom asked for the recipe and we tried to make it at home. And oh, my God, the dough is really hard to work with. Okay, so like a regular like linzer tort is uh, is raspberry i think so okay i think so that that's the thing my mom used to make but not not cranberry no this was cranberry it was like deeply tart and also deeply uh rich somehow maybe it was like a really buttery crust but it was incredible when when she when your mom asked for the recipe did did she say everyone else is doing it so why can't we that was the name of the Cranberries album. Good right? job, okay. Matthew. I yeah. knew you'd find another way. Okay. Good job. Okay. Maybe that was the last one. I can't wait to see what happens next. <laughs> okay, Matthew, let's see what part of this research I'm actually going to want to share. This is, yeah, there's, there's a lot this is here. Too much. I, think, I think by the end, I'm going to be like looking up the names of tracks from like the Cranberries, like, you know, last final album in like 2013 or okay. something. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut this down. 
Okay, so uh, let's talk about what cranberries are. Taxonomy-wise, these things are related to bilberries. Of course, yeah. I mean, you just look at bilberries and you're like, yeah, obviously a close relative. (laughs) Also, blueberries and huckleberries. I have heard of those things. Okay, Okay. great. Wait, can we say some of these Latin names? Because there's some good ones. We're going to get there. Okay. Okay, so the cranberry is um, a type of evergreen dwarf shrug. (laughs) (laughs) It's a type of evergreen. Let's shrub it out. <laughs> Did you just say rub it out? <laughs> no, I said shrub it out. I know I was messing with you. Okay, hold but, on. But well, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna yuck yuck your your rub. <laughs> All right. So cranberry is a group of evergreen dwarf shrubs or trailing vines. What is a trailing I'm vine? I'm not sure. Like I picture it's a very primocaine. evocative term, but I don't know what it's evoking exactly because, like, I'm not sure it's what it is like trailing in contrast from. to or trailing from. Yeah, I don't. It know. seems like it, it. It makes you feel like like the shrub is like walking somewhere and like trailing vines behind it as it moves. Ooh, but I suspect that's not like what the is train going on. of a wedding dress. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. All cranberry is from the subgenus Oxycoccus Oxycoccus of the genus Vaccinium. Okay. Vaccinium. Vaccinium. There are four to five species of cranberry, although in northern North America, the ones we see most often are, Matthew? Vaccinium oxycoccus. And that's the common cranberry, northern cranberry, or just what we call the cranberry. Uh, Vaccinium (laughs) microcarpum. Okay, shrug it out. Vaccinium (laughs) microcarpum. That's called the small cranberry. Vaccinium macrocarpin or Oxycoccus macrocarpus. That's the large cranberry. Mm -hmm. The American cranberry or sometimes called the bearberry. Okay. I love saying bearberry. I've never done that before. Do you think the bear that that I met met a couple weeks ago ate bearberries? Probably. Okay. So basically, as you might have figured out by now, the cranberry fruit is a berry. Yeah, I figured Mm -hmm. that out. And it starts out light green. And it turns red when it's ripe Uh, and it's extremely acidic. In fact, uh, the acidic flavor of it sometimes overwhelms its sweetness. I feel like cranberries are one of those foods that is that has like a dangerous allure because, Mm. you know, you look at a cranberry. It's so round. It's so red. It's so plump. You just want to pop some in your mouth. Mm -hmm. But you but you just can't. I think it would give you some real sores. Yeah. I mean, I think there probably there are some eccentrics who do, Mm -hmm. but it's not. For me, it's not satisfying. I feel like it's like a like a like a stunt. Yeah. Most cranberries, like 95 percent, are processed into products like jam or sauce or juice or they're dried. And only like the remainder, like maybe five percent are sold fresh. And I imagine it's mostly juice and craisins, the things we're not talking about. I think so. At this point, the only things we're not talking about. (laughs) Matthew, uh, is Mr. Etymology available? Mr. Etymology has just entered the chat. Mr. Etymology would like you to know that the name cranberry derives from the Middle Low German cranberry, the English translation craneberry, first named as cranberry in the English language by the missionary John Eliot in 1647. The traditional English name for the plant more common in Europe, Vaccinium oxycoccus, is fenberry, so named because it was found growing in fen, marshland, in England. Did you know that there is an archaic word cran that is a unit of measure referring to a a specific large quantity of herring? Really? Yes. 
That's so interesting. This is, this is like a uh, like a you know fun fact that I learned many many years ago, and periodically look up just to just to see whether that could could have possibly been a real thing, and it is. I wonder why the word crayon came to be associated with this particular like uh, measurement or this fish or whatever. I don't know. It doesn't doesn't say here in, in Mr. Etymology's notes. Matthew, I'm going to skip ahead for a minute okay. to talk about how cranberries are grown okay. because that I think while great. we're talking about this whole like trailing vine problem. <laughs> it, <laughs> It might I mean, be, it's not a problem for the vine. It might be useful to, to be able to like really picture how these things grow. I'm glad you said that because I know there's a bog involved. I yeah. don't really know what that is or like how it works. I've always found this really confusing. And uh, and so we're going to we're going to the only it out. you want to know the we're only fact I know out. about bogs is that Jerry Cantrell of Allison Chains had a solo album called Boggy Depot, which I've never listened to, but I've always remembered the name because it's such a good name. And it sounds like what Jerry Cantrell sort of looks and sounds like so i want you to know that while while we're on the topic of bogs i started thinking about bog people or bog bodies when i was researching this is that just like a dead body you find in a bog well so there's something about so so bogs are primarily like peat okay and there's something about the acidity of them or maybe the the name of the bog bog person alkalinity of them okay (laughs) uh but anyway there's something about the conditions of a bog that basically uh, preserve a body really well. Basically, they like tan a body. They don't preserve the bones so often like these bodies that are found in bogs are just like... The human sack. (laughs) Which episode was that when we first... It was a long time ago. It is one of my favorite of our old jokes. It's maybe our longest running bit, yeah. Um, Bog bodies are fascinating and actually so when I was 14 one of my cousins was studying abroad in northern Germany okay and my mom took me for spring break to go visit her I remember her host mother thought it would be super fun for us to go to a museum and see the bog bodies (gasps) there wow and what I remember I thought you were gonna say that she thought it would be super fun for you like go out into the fens and find some bog (laughs) bodies like like uh you know your own version of the movie stand by me Mm mm-hmm that's right. Uh, well, that's what I wanted to do. Sure. But we didn't have enough time. Okay. You have to really yeah. allot some time that's for fair. that. And you have yeah. to bring some like really good boots and waders and stuff. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I'm out. Anyway, what I was going to say is that I remember there being uh, like, you know, the, the plaques. There'd be like a diorama, basically. Or, you know, like the, uh, the body would be displayed almost inside like a, a bog setting. Oh, wow. In this museum. Oh, oh my God. It was really cool. And there was like a plaque beside it that, of course, would tell you about the body. But also, I remember. (laughs) Would it be like rising up out of the box? Well, you could see the hair. Like the (gasps) hair was perfectly preserved. And these people had quite like distinctive hairstyles. I think these were like (laughs) Viking people. That's not what I expected you to say at all. I remember there being a little plaque that talked about like how this hairstyle would have been achieved by the Vikings. It was like a particular (gasps) kind of like top knot or a particular kind of braid situation. And I remember my cousin and I went back to her host family's house and got a major case of like the, the teenage giggles 
trying to do our hair. Of course. The way that kidding? Viking hairdressers yeah. would have done it. <clears throat> that is amazing. Yeah. So uh, back to thinking about bogs. Okay. So <clears throat> we're going to get to the part of like cranberry harvesting where they have to like push aside all <laughs> the, the bogs. bodies. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So cranberries grow in acidic bogs throughout the cooler regions Didn't of the northern that, hemisphere. They were alkaline like five no, minutes I could, ago? I couldn't remember whether they were acidic okay. or alkaline. Whatever. The, the vast majority of cranberries are grown in the U.S., Canada, and Chile. Okay. Uh, Chile is not in the Northern Hemisphere. This is confusing. That's a good point. Anyway, in the U.S., the biggest producers are Wisconsin, followed by Massachusetts and Oregon. This all checks oh, out, right? Okay. These would be cool regions mm-hmm. of the, the states. So here's the deal. A, a common misconception is that the cranberry beds are flooded like throughout the year. That like cranberries are growing like in an in a boggy bog, like like they're like like a kelp. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but here's the thing: during the growing season, the cranberry beds are not actually flooded. Uh, they, I mean, they are. Wait, is the is the bog body when you saw it, the bog bodies? <laughs> did would you describe them as resembling a zombie? <laughs> I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. okay. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. During the growing season, the cranberry bed is not flooded. It's just irrigated to, you know, maintain soil moisture. That said, these cranberry beds have been planted in an area that either has like a really high water table or is, you know, bog-like. Okay. So that when they are flooded, like manually flooded in the autumn, it's easy to do. When when they're manually flooded, do they just turn on a big hose? Uh, when I said manually flooded, I mean, I don't really know. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, the beds are flooded in the autumn because it facilitates the harvest. And they're flooded again during the winter because it helps protect the plants in low temperatures. So the vast majority of the time that cranberries are growing on the plant, it, they're not growing in what looks like a bog. Okay, so why do they flood it? Okay. So here's the deal. So when they're harvested in the fall, well, I guess growers know that they're ready to be harvested because they take on that deep red color, right? And this happens usually after the first frost. That said, Matthew, there are berries that uh, don't really get very much sun and those stay pale pink or white, which is okay. how we can get like white cranberry juice. Right. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, I think I've seen pictures of white cranberries, but I might just be thinking of like the front of the ocean spray white cranberry juice bottle. Mm. Harvest usually takes place from September to the first part of November. And what they do is the beds are flooded. Okay, this does seem manual, doesn't it? <laughs> how, do, how do we sleep when the beds are flooded? <laughs> My favorite cranberries. 
<laughs> That's midnight oil, That's man. That's midnight oil, yeah. Okay, all right. So here's what happens. The beds are flooded. <laughs> That's a question. With six to eight inches of water above the vines. Okay. Okay. It's a lot. And then this harvester, and I don't have a diagram for you or anything, but just, okay. just imagine it's some sort of farm machinery. Yeah. A harvester is driven through the beds to basically remove the fruit from the vines. That's and, what I was wondering, whether yeah. the flooding is all about like kind of knocking the berries loose yes. and making them float. Okay. Well, but they still have to be knocked off the vines. Oh, sure, sure. But then what happens is the harvested cranberries, obviously they float, right? And they are corralled, I guess probably using a different type of machine or something, into a corner mm-hmm. uh, of the bed where they are then <laughs> folded into the sheets. <laughs> of course. No. Yeah. <laughs> where they are then like either conveyed or pumped from the bed. Okay, this is pretty cool. <laughs> it is, is pretty cool, are, right? Is anything else harvested this way? I don't know. Maybe bilberries? Maybe bilberries. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, most cranberries are picked <laughs> this way, but like 5 to 10% of the U.S. crop is dry picked. Okay. Which is way more expensive with a lower yield. So why do they do it? Well, they do it because the, the fruit harvested this way is less bruised. And can be sold as fresh fruit. Oh, so, so when we get a bag of cranberries from the store, those are probably dry picked rather than, than bog flooded. I'm, I'm guessing because okay. basically all the ones that are bog flooded then go to be like processed into other forms. So I think that probably the same way that like if if a farmer's crop, uh, if, if farmer's field gets flooded, he can't sell the crops that are in it. I think for like food safety reasons, right? Sure. It does seem logical to <laughs> I'm not I'm nodding along as if, if yep, that's that's probably how it works. I mean, I think so cuz our CSA newsletter, like when there's a lot of flooding on the farm, I mean they they basically like just lose entire fields of crops. Well, that sucks. I think it's a food safety thing. Okay. But I I don't know for certain, but it would make sense to me if yeah, what we get fresh in the store is dry picked. But okay. I don't yeah. know for sure. That makes sense. I mean, they're certainly more expensive <laughs> than the equivalent amount of like cranberry juice cocktail. Sure, sure. Before we talk about what we do with it, I do want to talk a little bit about the history of it because yes. this fruit has a really long history in North America and is obviously like tied up in a lot of like the mythology of the early days of okay. colonial America. That's going to come up next week also. It is? Well, not, not like American colonialism, but like other British colonialism. So uh, in North America, the Narragansett people of the Algonquin mm-hmm. nation in the regions of New England, they used cranberries in pemmican. Which sure. As far as I understand it, is like a mixture of tallow, dried meat, and dried fruits. Yeah. Uh, and I think it could be eaten on its own or used in other things. Mm-hmm. So the Narragansett people probably introduced cranberries to the British colonists in Massachusetts. Uh, in the book, The Land of Virginia by James Rosier, there's an account of Europeans coming on shore and being met with Native Americans bearing bark cups full of cranberries. Okay. It's a very, very lovely image, if it is true. Uh, in Plymouth, Massachusetts, there is a 1633 account of the husband of Mary Ring auctioning <laughs> okay. her cranberry-dyed petticoat <laughs> for 16 shillings. Like, like was, was she wearing it at the time? <laughs> um, yes. No, I'm not sure. In 1643, the book A Key into the Language of America by Roger Williams described cranberries referring to them as 
Bearberries. Roger Williams, founder of Rhode Island. Uh, I don't know. Something like that. Really? I think so. I would have no idea. I think you're going to like this one, Matthew. Uh, In 1667, New Englanders sent to King Charles 10 barrels of cranberries, three barrels of codfish, and some Indian corn as a means of appeasement for his anger over their local coining of the pine tree shilling. Mm. Did they they stop coining the shilling or did they just like try to distract him with cranberries? I think they just tried to distract him with cranberries. Did it work? I'm not sure, but I I feel like this could have been the beginning of like a 12 Days of Christmas song. Like 10 uh, barrels of cranberries, three barrels of codfish, so on and so forth. Yeah. A cran of herring. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's a bunch of other stuff I I could say. Uh, There's a a lot of of history of cranberries. (laughs) There sure is. Let's skip ahead. Wait, uh, can you read this part about um, (laughs) sauce for the pilgrims? (laughs) Okay. So this is from the 1672 book, New England Rarities Discovered by John (laughs) Jocelyn. He described cranberries thusly. Sauce for the pilgrims, cranberry or bearberry, is a small trailing plant that grows in salt marshes that are overgrown with moss. The berries are of a pale yellow color, afterwards red, as big as a cherry. That's a small cherry. Some perfectly round, others oval, all of them hollow with sour astringent taste. They are ripe in August and September. They are excellent against the scurvy. (laughs) Wait, can you read one more sentence, please? They are also good to allay the fervor of hoof diseases. What do you use today to allay the the fervor fervor of hoof hoof diseases? I don't know. I I just like the phrase sauce for the pilgrims. Like they were serving (laughs) the pilgrims with this as a sauce. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Sauce for the pilgrims. I hadn't noticed that. Like you you do not want to serve just like a dry pilgrim (laughs) on a plate. You got to get some sauce on that bad boy. Uh, Yeah, there's not a lot of meat on a typical pilgrim. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. And you should take the the buckle hat off first. <laughs> In 1787, so dumb. James Madison wrote Thomas Jefferson in France for background information on constitutional government to use at the Constitutional Convention. <laughs> you may have heard of this thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jefferson sent back a number of books on the subject and in return asked for a gift of apples, pecans, and cranberries. I, I imagine, like, like we're, we're leaning really hard into, like, sort of, like, like Mark Russell, like, like political humor territory, but I imagine <laughs> James, like, Thomas Jefferson getting this letter from Madison about, like, you got any ideas on constitutional government? And Jefferson saying, you have come to the right place. And Master's like, oh, shit, I shouldn't have asked. That's how it went down. That's how it went down. Anyway, it and seems. And that is the musical Hamilton. It seems like uh, the first cranberries, like the first cultivated cranberries were grown around 1816 uh, near Cape Cod. It seems like in the 1820s, they were shipped to New York and Boston and from there went on to Europe. Probably okay. started a cranberry craze. Yeah, probably cran craze. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, by 1900, there were almost 22,000 acres of cranberries under cultivation in New England. Okay. So that's that's a lot of cranberries in under 100 years. Sure. I'm so glad you explained like the the bogging process. Yeah. Because because I never knew. Well, and it never occurred to me that like that you could have Well, I I think what I don't understand is yes, I understand that some of the reason why they're planted where they are is because the water table is high. And so I don't know if it means that they like that it like naturally turns into a bog at a certain time of year or what, but it is really interesting that somehow they figured out that like the the a normal good way to harvest these things is to have them float in yeah, water. Yeah, I imagine that's probably probably like you know 
people like long, long before colonists arrived noticed, okay, like sometimes this floods and the cran- some of the cranberries fall off and float to the top and we can grab them mm-hmm. and then like turn that over time into, into an industrial process. Yeah, that sounds right. So, okay. All right. Let's talk about what we do with these things. Okay. Finally. So Wife of the Show, Lori, as I mentioned, big cranberry fan, doesn't do like a ton of cranberry baking just because like no one else in the family is as into cranberries as she is. But two things that she makes regularly, and I got to say, I do like both of them, are cranberry streusel shortbread bars uh, from Fine Cooking Magazine. We'll link to uh, both of these appear on people's blogs and we'll link to both of them. And then the other one, and this is an incredible coincidence, is the cranberry upside down cake from Nigella Lawson's How to Be a Domestic Goddess which we mentioned last week in the Upside Down Food episodes for her uh, supper onion pie. So now we've mentioned Upside Down recipes from that same Nigella Lawson cookbook two weeks in a row. Mind blown. Yep. Wow. Wow. Um, My mom also used to make a cranberry upside down cake. I think her recipe came from Bon Appetit. I haven't thought about it in ages. So, you know, mostly what I do with cranberries is cranberry sauce. I make that cranberry chutney often, but gosh, I'm thinking that this year I might make cranberry relish. Love that stuff. Yeah. I don't really use raw cranberries other than that. There you go. Me neither. Yeah. Okay. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> okay. So, uh, Matthew, do you ever, d- does Lori ever use cranberries when it's like not the holidays? Like, I think she only, ever... only when there's like a bag that, that like went into the freezer and got like, you know, I put like a Trader Joe's entree in front of it for, mm-hmm. and, it, and we forgot about them for a while. And then like they get discovered in February or March and turn into streusel bars. There is something interesting about like thinking about the flavor of cranberry, it it really for me is so strongly associated with the holidays. I I think that I don't know. I I think I really never have anything cranberry any other time, and I wonder if I did, if it would feel like I was getting to like revisit like Christmas a Christmas in July sort of thing. Exactly, but that when, feels wrong. Like I, I feel does, like I should yeah. only eat cranberries when it's cold out. It's like how when producer Abby gets mad at me when I watch a Hallmark Christmas movie in like October. <laughs> And you do too? Oh, well, wow. Well, I don't think the, you should ever watch a Hallmark the, Christmas The war movie. on Christmas is, is, is <laughs> happening early this year, I guess. Um, okay. I well, love Hallmark Christmas movies. We watched one recently about like a pie contest, like a pumpkin pie contest. And the the woman who, like like the heroine of the picture was entering this pumpkin pie contest, but had never made a pumpkin pie before and was like, you know, wasting time flirting with this, with this like, you know, hunky guy in town, like up until like the day before the pie contest. I was so stressed out. It was a great movie. Um, I, I think I would watch one like with you guys, but I, I wouldn't yeah, choose it. Like by yourself. <laughs> I wouldn't choose it. <laughs> okay, Matthew, uh, do we have uh, any spilled mail this week? We sure do. We have two related questions in a wild coincidence. Are wow. you ready for this? Yes. Listener Bryden writes, I believe Listener Bryden is the one with the fountain pen. Uh, oh, did not did not yeah. write this with, with the fountain pen. Used okay. email. I got a question for you and Molly. I recently found myself making Mapo Dofu using friend of the show, J. Kenji Lopez Alt's recipe. Turned out fantastic. But instead of using ground beef, I swapped it for ground bison. Nothing against ground beef, but I prefer bison for the leanness and flavor in some applications, and I live where bison is readily available. So my question is, is there an ingredient in your pantry or wherever you keep ingredients that you often use to swap out in a written recipe, either due to preference or as a regional variation? Keep up the good work. Mm. 
And then this just came in, I think, yesterday from listener Zohar, who writes, When I was about 13 or so, we used to often have breaded and fried zucchini slices as part of our meals. Sounds sounds like a like a good upbringing. Mm-hmm. One day I tried to make them myself, but we didn't have any zucchini. And I thought, what else is crunchy green with a mild flavor? <laughs> so I tried to use cucumbers. The result was not good. What are the most surprising substitutions you've made when cooking? Were they successful or a disaster? Is there a substitution to a recipe that you've made and consider so superior that you always make it this way now? Love the show, Zohar. Oh, good question. Right? I, our answer, my answers at least are not going to live up to the quality of these questions. <sighs> yeah, okay, no. But me neither. Okay, to to go back to Bryden's question. Uh, first of all, I have had ground bison where at, at Ranchlands where I teach in the oh, summertime. Sure. Um, they run a herd of conserva- like a conservation herd of bison. Sure. So we eat bison there, and it is really really tasty. Something that I'm thinking of is so I love the Julia Tertian cookbook, Simply Julia. And I know I've mentioned the the fish cakes in that book. She calls for canned salmon, which of course mm-hmm. is easy to get, right. readily available. I always substitute fresh salmon uh, because we can get it here. Uh, I don't know if that is considered like a preference or a regional variation. Yeah. But to me, it makes a big difference. And I can get you know, fairly reasonably priced fresh salmon. Yeah, one of the perks of living in Seattle. Yes. Uh, What about you? Two things. First of all, I will like freely substitute sour cream for Greek yogurt or vice versa in a a recipe. That doesn't seem very creative. But like, you know, there's going to be like some kind of fermented dairy thing in the fridge. And like if I don't have the exact one that the recipe calls for, it'll probably be fine. Mm -hmm. When uh, listener Zohar uh, asked about like surprising substitutions – This isn't really a substitution. It's more of a surprising combination that I remember as being kind of a formative cooking moment for me, which was like before I'd really learned to cook at all, I got some like beef ravioli from Trader Joe's and combined them with like a Thai green curry sauce from Trader Joe's. And I was like, okay, like now now I'm kind of like an avant-garde cook. And it was very tasty. Oh, wow. Have you made it since? No. Oh, this was probably like 1997. Okay. Okay. You know, I'm trying to think of surprising substitutions. Like, what if you substituted bilberries for cranberries? Oh, that is, that's going rogue. I See, I'm more likely to just leave something out than substitute. Like, if it's a main ingredient, I'll probably make, I'll probably substitute a different recipe for the recipe I was going to make. I agree. And I, I think that a lot of the substitutions that I'm thinking of that I make for the sake of convenience or because of what I have around are just not. Not as interesting as what listener Zohar is asking about. Yeah. Uh, for instance, you mentioned uh, Greek yogurt, sour cream, etc. I often substitute kind of a whisked up mixture of plain yogurt and milk for buttermilk. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that like mashed banana, mashed pumpkin and like applesauce, those things are interchangeable for me in like baked goods, which is, you know, I mean, they're always there to provide a little bit of flavor, but also a lot of moisture. Wait, could you make a pumpkin pie using only applesauce? God, I think that would be terrible. Can I tell you something that happened to me recently? What? As you you may know, because I mentioned it on the show as often as, as possible, we belong to a pie club and our pie last, this month, last month, was uh, was a black bottom pumpkin pie and I am not a pumpkin pie fan like I don't like it okay. but this is like the first pumpkin pie that I really liked and it's not just because there was chocolate like the the texture of the pumpkin was like the least gluey I've ever had mm-hmm. um and like I went back for like seconds of this pumpkin pie and like I was I didn't know who I was anymore wow okay very cool 
Okay, great question. Sorry we didn't have great yeah, answers. Sorry we're, yeah, that, I feel I feel kind of boring in these answers. Oh, well. Matthew, do you have a now but wow this week? I do. This is a very niche pick. So this uh, this is called the Get Offset Podcast. And if you are not a guitarist, this is not going to be for you. But I bet uh, at least a couple of our listeners are, hopefully more than a couple. So one of my favorite things to do is watch guitar YouTube. I find it extremely relaxing. However, the guitar world, as you might imagine, is extremely dominated by cis white men. And this podcast is a happy exception. And it is also Seattle-based. So the hosts are Emily Harris and uh, Joan of Heart, a.k.a. Pedal Playhouse, and uh, they are often joined or substituted uh, with another local guitar YouTuber named uh, Nisu Bell, who is a great YouTube personality. The show is just super nerdy. It's about, like, cool guitars and guitar gear and, like, you know, how to play better and, like, how to take, take care of and modify your guitar gear. The hosts have excellent rapport. They are super, super smart. And even if this podcast isn't for you, I bet you might enjoy Nisi Bell's uh, YouTube channel, even if you don't play guitar, just because like she is such a fun personality and plays awesome music on uh, every one of her videos. So that's uh, N-I-S-E Bell, B-E-L-L-E on YouTube and or the Get Offset podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. Nice. Our producer is Abby Circatella. You can rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm. And you can also chat with other Spilled Milk listeners at everythingspilledmilk.reddit.com. Thanks for listening to um, Spilled Milk sp- <laughs> the show. Uh, I'm I'm uh, Bill Berry, former drummer of R.E.M. And I'm Bearberry. <laughs> I'm so cute. <laughs> And he and he says things like that is so attractive to me. <laughs> yeah, I feel like if I were the bachelor on on a bachelor show, like first of all, they're they're like keep calling me and asking me to be the bachelor on the bachelor show. Um, and, like I would run out of things to say like in the first ten minutes, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Well, no, you just keep repeating things like your empathy reminds me of my deceased ex wife. Wow. Or no, my deceased wife. Sorry. Yikes. That's the other thing with The Bachelor. <laughs> He's the ex-wife. <laughs> nobody's, nobody's ever divorced on The Golden Bachelor. 